Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning again. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John 4. Be toward the back of your New Testament. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. If you are visiting Christ Church today, I want to tell you that we've been doing a series that was in response to our Roman series where we studied what the faithfulness of God looks like. And uh, then we began to look at some questions that people are having. In week one of our series, uh, we have our series entitled I Have a Friend. And we've attached to that a statement that allows us to direct not how to be right, but how to share our faith with those friends we have. So what do we do with a friend who believes the Bible is irrelevant? And Michael DeFazio taught on what we can do in response to that to show the living truth of God as found in his word and how to experience that. We asked the question or we said to ourselves, we have a friend who's sexually indiscriminate. And what does the Bible say about the choices they're making and about what better choices are available? Last week, uh, we talked about, I have a friend who's mad at God because of suffering. And Chad Ragsdale talked to us about suffering from the perspective of what the Bible teaches us and how that is not something to blame God for, per se, but the means by which we respond to it and trust God even more. And today, our last message in this series is, I have a friend who believes all religions are the same. And so what I want to be careful of when we begin is, I'm not going to do a comparison uh, today. Time A wouldn't allow it. But this is not an attack on people who believe in other religions. It's a statement of why all religions aren't the same and why I choose to believe that Christianity is God's response to our need. And so instead of us feeling superior today, we want to feel generous. We want to feel benevolent. We want to feel connected and united to allow people to join us in the journey we're on. I'd like to use this text in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-10. through 10. Let's read it together. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out of the world. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, when you read what John's writing, those are uh, probably uh, familiar passages to most of us. John speaks this kind of language in his gospel. He also does it in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You can see there's a repetitive nature. John was moved by the love of God. And I want that, uh, the reason I chose John's writings to deal with this issue of friends of ours who believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. I want to use John's writing because the love of God 
is the most compelling facet of Christianity that is so unique to any other religion that when we hear John's words echo and we know why we chose to follow Christ, it wasn't for fear of judgment, but it's because we were overwhelmed by his love that we can address this issue. One of the main problems in our culture is the issue of religious exclusivity. All right, fancy phrase that says some in and some are out. And every religious group believes they're in and everybody else is out. And that's an issue in our culture today. How can one religion possibly claim that they have the only way by which to be saved? It's a divisive issue. It divides people and it makes some people feel marginalized and it makes other people feel superior. So what does the church, what does the word of God have to say to that? What I'd like to do today is show you that there is true and pure religion does not divide. I want you to hear me carefully. True and pure things of God do not divide people. People divide people. And so how do we address this in our culture today? What I'd like to do is show you the two things that our culture says. Remember, we've been talking about this all the way back in the Romans. The world is speaking into us, and if that's all we hear, we'll have a tendency to believe they know what they're talking about. But when we hear God speak, what it does is it redefines culture's errors, and it also accentuates culture's truth. So being open to the Word of God is what we need to do. What I'd like to do is show you non-biblical ways to handle Christianity's perceived claim to exclusivity. That's a fancy statement. What is the world trying to do? What does it say to us when Christians say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? The first thing they do is they want to make religious pursuits illegal. This is happening all over the world. It's been happening. Communism is an example of it. You see it in China. You see it all over the world that religious pursuits that don't include everybody in them and seem to say that there are some that are responding to God and some that are not, let's just make those illegal. Uh, In the past 200 years, there was a prediction in culture that religion was going to die out because as man became more sophisticated, man would no longer need the crutch of religion that it would eventually die out because we've just become smarter and more aware of what's going on around us, and we don't need it. And unfortunately, even today, in this building, will be people that have bitten that apple. They just believe that Christianity is a sad crutch for sad people who have no lives. But I want to tell you that this projection that religion was going to die out has been proven false every day a man's been alive. Did you know that Africa, for example, has gone from 9% to almost 50% Christian in the last 100 years? That Korea, of all places, has increased 50% in the amount of Christians in Korea in the last 25 years? And do you know that China is doing something similar in the next 100 years? Everyone believes that one of the fastest growing movements of Christianity in all the world that you don't hear about in your paper because they won't talk about us is in China. So for a world that's becoming so sophisticated and technologically advanced that knows so much more, it does not ever take away the need for us to be right with our God. You see, we've tried to make it illegal. We've tried to legislate against it. We've tried to punish people who preach. You can see it beginning in the book of Acts, and it still compels forward today. But the irony is, is the more you try to stamp out the control of religion, the more it grows. It's still proven that the religious groups that expect the most of their people are the fastest growing continuously. People know that there's a bigger cause to live for than what they've chosen. You cannot stop a spiritual movement with legal regulations. Listen to verse 1 again. 
Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are talking about a transcendent spiritual component to us that is not taken away because medicine and science seem to have increased our knowledge base. Deep in our souls, we're not just mental, rational creatures, but deep in our souls, we respond to the transcendence of God's spirit. And that's why if you look, every culture has spiritual pursuit and there was no training center. There was no rule that said every culture, if you want to be real, you've got to have some form of religion. No, it was chosen by man and woman because they realized there was a transcendent spiritual reality. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a core of who we are. The second response of our culture to what we're dealing with is how do you deal with this divisive nature of religion is confine religion to the private realm. If you can't make it illegal, then just tell people, keep it to yourself. It's just between you and God, and it's nobody else's business. Verse 4 and 5. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. So if you want to confine it to the private realm, you have two options. Tell people that all religions are equally valid paths to God. This is what our culture said. Don't tell people there's only one way. In fact, it's illegal to tell people there's only one way. They'll sue you or attack you or beseech everything about you. They will call it all together and say that you're just a bad human being. No one has the right to say they have all the spiritual truth. We all only see a small part of it. That is being said over and over and over today in culture. I read it in the newspaper articles I read. I read it online. I hear it in even Christian messages. I hear this this take on Christianity that we only know what we know, and so let's be careful that we don't tell people that there's only one way. There's an old illustration that's been used for the longest of times. It pictures a group of blind men coming upon an elephant. And because they're blind, they can't see what's in front of them, so they all hold different parts. One holds a leg, one holds a trunk, one gets a piece of ear, one gets the midsection. And because they're blind, they can only describe what they feel. And that's what people are using as an example of saying that they couldn't know the whole beast because they're only limited to what they've experienced themselves and can know. And our world shakes their head and rubs their chin going, oh yes, harumph, that's so true. But Leslie Nubjian, who was a British missionary in India, he was listening to this, and one day it suddenly hit him. The only way you could know that none of the blind men understood what the elephant was is to understand what the elephant was. So when we say that nobody knows enough truth to say there's only one way, is such a spiritually superior position. For you to say you don't know what it is means that you do. And it's the fallacy of our experience. There is an appearance of humility in this that that the truth is much greater than anyone can grasp. So when you say no one has a superior take on spiritual reality, you are taking a superior take on spiritual reality. Church, are you with me? To be able to say that someone's wrong means that you think you know what's right. And so when we live in a culture that does this, it looks humble and inclusive, but it's actually just the opposite. Another way to keep it private is, is we simply say to people, the second claim is to don't talk about it. Just keep your, religious, your religion private, just amongst yourselves. You see, I'm not trying to impose my view of spirituality. 
I'm just looking for strategies at work. Let's not talk about the things that divide us. Instead, let's talk about the things that unite us. Let's work for the poor. Let's work for those that are downtrodden. Let's worry about education and issues like that. Let's just find the things that work. It sounds plausible. But what is religion in its purest sense? I don't mean organized religion. What is this pursuit of God? It answers a set of big questions. Questions like, why are we here? What's wrong with humanity and what will fix it? How do we decide right and wrong? And what are the most important things to be spending our lives on? That's what religion pursues. So how can you keep something so fundamentally private that defines your entire existence? If you do believe that God has the answers to these questions, then what kind of human being with any soul at all would discover through Jesus Christ the answer to these questions and not tell another struggling pilgrim? Nobody who cares. Nobody who's loving. You see, we all have a set of assumptions, a set of beliefs that answers our questions like, why am I here? What is wrong with me and how is it going to be fixed? What is right and wrong and what am I supposed to be doing? That's what religion pursues. The real question is which set of exclusive beliefs produces the most peace-loving, reconciling, inclusive behavior? That's what we want to know. So what we've done is the world says, don't talk about it or make it illegal. And our response is, no, neither one of those brings peace to the world. So what I want to do is I want to say to you today, if your Christianity is simply about escaping hell, I would like to introduce you to something greater. It's not just about one day in the sweet by and by. It's about right now in the here and now. What does Christianity offer that's not exclusive but inclusive, that allows other people to join us, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been? The gospel's way to handle Christianity's claim to truth. The gospel's way to handle Christianity's claim to truth. What is to be our strategy? What I'd like to do is show three things about Christianity that allows other people to participate with us. Let's look at the origin of salvation in Jesus. So for your friends who believe that all religions are the same, I'd like you, if you're taking notes, and if you're not, why not? If you care about your neighbor, this is something you might want to write down to think through. What is the origin of salvation in Jesus? It's different than any other religion. In verse 2, John says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. To say what John is saying is he's pointing out that he once was somewhere else and he came here in the flesh. And where he was in the somewhere else wasn't in the flesh. So there's something very unique being said by John here. That our God, our Jesus, pre-existed his earthly life. Whereas every other religion says its founder is a human and Christianity says Jesus Christ is God come into the world, the first unique thing about Christianity that separates it from every other religion is that Jesus was with God and Jesus came to be with us. Second thing we can think about that allows us to offer peace and reconciliation rather than division 
is the purpose of Jesus' presence. Not only that he came, but how he came. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it says in your text. Why is that important? Because other religions, and and listen to me carefully, I know I'm stacking kind of a, a dense argument here, but other religions teach you that the purpose of salvation is to liberate you from the flesh, to escape it, that there's a problem in the physical world. Many Easter religions teach that the physical world is an illusion and you're liberated through consciousness. Western religions tend to say that the flesh is real and it's your problem. It's not a problem of your soul. It's a problem of your flesh. Your flesh has hungers and desires, and you feed those, and that is your sin. And so to escape the body and to go be in a new place in a new time is interesting. But Christianity tells us something different. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. I don't know if you've read this in your Bible, but you know what my Bible tells me? And in the flesh he lived perfectly, without sin, that he was able to honor God in the flesh, that he was all God and all man. He wasn't junior God on internship. He wasn't sent down here, this frail little creature that may make a mistake, but God would guide him. No, no, he was all God and all man, and he lived in the flesh, and the flesh honored God. Even his death was an honoring of God in the flesh, and that's unique to every other world religion. God received a body. At the resurrection of Jesus, we see the salvation of God is not to escape the flesh, but to redeem it. Get rid of the death, disease, poverty, and injustice. Would that sound good, church? That if God, through Jesus Christ, got rid of all death, disease, poverty, and injustice, I'm going to tell you he will. The Word of God says that's what he came to do. You see, the biblical vision is unique. When someone says that there is salvation in other faith, ask them, what salvation are you talking about? To escape the flesh and live in an ethereal other world? Is that all that's offered? Now, Jesus told his disciples, go treat injustice, offer hope, peace. Paul said that we are ministers of reconciliation, not for a future day, but for a present day. Church, are you with me? Now, you're really quiet this morning, and that makes me want to preach longer. Our church, are you with me? A little threat works. I love it. The first unique thing about Jesus is that he was God and became man. The second thing is the purpose of his salvation is to restore not just the spiritual realm, but to restore the physical realm. That he's going to rebuild this place we live on and retransform this world into a new heaven and a new earth. The third thing is the method of God's grace. In other religions, it's quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Always premised on someone acting. If you want to be saved, other religions say you have to perform things perfectly. You have to love God and you have to love your neighbor. And if you don't do that right, then God won't love you. And many of us need to break free from that lie. We believe that we're going to be saved because we're a better version of what we used to be. And I'm going to tell you that if God wanted that, you'd have to be perfect. But that's not what the gospel says. Look at verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All other world religions say you need to get it right and you need to stay right. And if you stay right, then God may give you the break of eternity. But our gospel says 
you weren't right, you couldn't get right, and you're not going to stay right, and he still gives you the opportunity of eternity with him. Why? Because you're good and are a better version of yourself? No, because Jesus Christ was the atoning sacrifice. He lived a life you and I chose not to live so that by his death, we might be saved. See, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And boy, doesn't the world wiggle their tails at this. They read this and they go, that's the problem with the church. There's no love. It's all rules. It's all conformity. It's all behavior issues. And that's the church's fault. But other world religions offer the same thing. But we hear love. Love one another. Love the world. Let's not talk about divisive doctrine. Let's not talk about Jesus' divinity, the resurrection, and the atonement. Let's just love one another. You're not saved because you love. You love because you're saved. And in a quid pro quo world where all other religions are saying behave and then God may honor you, our scriptures say Jesus honored us before we behaved. That's why you and I can't feel superior to anybody else. That's why there's no room for looking down on those who are unsaved. If the church understood the gospel... We would love our enemy, pray for our enemy, and turn the other cheek, not because God would be impressed, but because we're impressed by God. Christianity offers so much more than the church has even offered the world. So I have no problem saying there's only one way to heaven, it's through Jesus Christ. And now it's time for the church to act like the lovers of God that we're supposed to be, to love our neighbors, even those who don't agree with us. You see, the gospel's truth that guides us to liberating all mankind are three things I want to talk with you this morning. How do we do this? How do we turn Christianity from being this exclusive paradigm that only good people get in to being the gospel message that anybody can get in? In fact, heaven's going to be full of more bad people than good because good people are trying to get there by their merit. Bad people are going to get there by grace. So let's look at the experience of grace. Religion tries to create a way in which you're saved by performing. It allows you to become self-righteous and superior. The gospel breaks us free from looking down on others because they aren't enlightened or they don't behave the way we want them to. The gospel says you're not saved because you're wise. Oh, I'm not against begging. If you agree with this, say amen. The gospel says you're not saved because you're wise. Okay, three of you, thank you. You're not saved because you're good. You're not saved because you're virtuous. You're not saved because you're performing the truth better than others. The gospel says you're saved because Jesus Christ performed the truth, and you need that grace to save you. Church, when we get the gospel right, the world's not going to feel excluded, they're going to feel invited. The gospel leads you to expect that the people that you don't agree with could easily be and usually are better people than you. But we don't make it about that. The gospel humbles you before the people who don't agree with you. So the experience of grace is what we can offer. We can also offer them the resurrection. 
In other religions, it says the world doesn't matter. All that matters is heaven. And as long as you get to heaven, that's all that matters. I've heard Christians say that, and unfortunately, I've said it. I don't care if I'm the last one in. As long as I crawl through the gate before they lock it, ick. That is so not the gospel. It is such an American way of seeing as long as the means justifies the ends. No. The purpose of salvation, according to my Bible, is a new heaven and a new earth, a transformed world where death and poverty and disease and suffering are gone. Then we'll be working with God. We'll be in relationship with one another and God, living in perfect shalom. And that includes the body, the flesh. That's why in Jeremiah 29, the prophet could say to the people in exile, go into the pagan city of Babylon and seek its peace. The resurrection is not just for chosen people. The resurrection is for anybody who will receive it. And that's why we're not to be exclusive, but to be inclusive. That's what we have to offer the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means the gates are open and all are invited in. So when the church stops becoming a gatekeeper and starts becoming the invitation, oh, what God might do. And then thirdly, Jesus is not just a human being. He's God in the flesh. But a lot of us, unfortunately, we hear about Jesus coming in the flesh and we realize that other religions don't see their leaders as gods but serving God or prophets of God. But we see Jesus as God, redeemed, the redeemer, and the resurrected. But unfortunately, we can't turn that into my God can whip your God. When we turn it into that, it's a childish response to the truth. The Greek and Romans did not mix the rich and the poor. Jesus did. The Jews would not mix the races. Jesus did. The answer is to make us thoughtful, not just right. If Jesus isn't just a great guy, but God, then in Jesus Christ, we know who God is. And we see the God who fed the poor, and he loved others, and he served well, and he was kind even to his enemies. We see a God who stood for truth, but he stood for truth with the balance of grace. That he offered mercy and hope. If you know through a God through Jesus and consider or think about him, you see a God who chooses love over superiority, inclusivity rather than exclusivity. What I'm trying to say to you today is, it is okay to know that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That not all religions are the same. But let's offer them an alternative to being right. Let's say to our friends that our God may be misrepresented by man, but the word of God does not misrepresent him. He is exactly who he said he is. He is the lover of every human being. He died for every human being. He will resurrect every human being. Would you give yourself to him because no other world religion offers you that? But probably the most important thing I was thinking on an airplane this week was this. I can say everything I just said. But I want you to know that the heart of Jesus Christ grieves for those who serve lesser gods. He's not ticked. He's not disgusted. He's not done with any of them. He loves everyone who is created in his image, and we all are. May our church strive for peace for reconciliation, and for the truth of the gospel to reveal Jesus Christ as God in the flesh 
the atoning sacrifice for all men and women so that you and I just aren't offering them another option. We're offering them life. We're offering them hope. We're offering them peace. So what do you do with a sermon like this? I have no clue. Love your neighbor the same way you love your Lord. Submitting through mercy and grace. Today is a call for prayer, pure and simple. To pray that you might be able to live the gospel in such a way, with words and actions, so that those who are trailing after something where they earn their way home, that you may say to them with great joy, you can't, but he can. And that's the difference between a religion that's right and a religion that loves. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.